Welcome to another episode of No Plain Views with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. And we are coming to you on November 9th. And the the gauntlet was laid down for the New York Jets. Big win. They take down the, I would say, prohibitive Super Bowl favorite, Buffalo Bills. The a little bit of Knicks and Nets news. The Giants somehow found a way to, I would say, lose the bye week. With, they, they they lose a somewhat impactful player over the bye, and we and we have our picks coming up. But there there's obviously only one place to start here, and it will be the New York Jets defeating the Buffalo Bills. And you come off last week, right, where they they drop a really really disappointing game to the Patriots in a fashion that you really had that had a good amount of the fan base questioning Zach Wilson and. You knew you were going to take come. Now this is a team that's coming into your building that is in a whole other stratosphere from the Patriots. Whereas the the Mac Jones Patriots sort of lulled us into their sort of slower, slower play. You knew the the Bills were not going to come in with that type of mentality. They're a they're they're a swing it up and down the field, high octane type team, and the Jets were able to do what is clearly now especially now with the loss of Brees Hall, what the Jets now, what their bread and butter is, is that defense. And it came out to play on Sunday in a way that this was their, this was their crown jewel. We knew the defense was good. We've given Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed their flowers. We, we're watching Quinn and Williams develop into a full-blown superstar. But it was, it, we were waiting for that one signature mark that like, takes the Jets from like, wow, like this is a, a fun little team here that's 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 beating expectations. So wait a second, maybe this team could actually make some noise. And I think this was clearly the win that did so. I mean, to hold Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills to 17 points, that that's that's some serious stuff. And I think it is definitely about time now where we announce Robert Sala as as the guy. I mean, this is no longer like where where Brian Dable gets all the credit for working with a more limited roster, and Robert Sala is just out here living off of his his talent. I mean, Robert Sala has now had to lose some some severe talent. Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker. It felt like in the Bills game, every other play was someone going down. It somehow, I mean, at one point, Garrett Wilson went down. Quentin Williams gets taken out on the sideline. DJ Reed went down. I mean, they all stayed in the game, but you, you're just dealing with thing after thing, and it and. The fact that it's been the defense specifically shows that Robert Sala's handprint is here. Like this is what Robert Sala was brought in to do. He was a defensive coordinator. Like he's a defensive guy, and it is clear now that he is actually finally, when given the talent to actually go out and create his version of a monster defense, we're actually seeing that come to light, and that makes me feel so good because Robert Sala is a guy that I wanted. I I, I had Robert Sala as my guy over a year from before from when before we moved on from Adam Gase. Like, this is a guy that I'm rooting for, and to actually see now, I mean, it seems like the receipts thing is so in the past because at the beginning that was just a little, like, like okay, like, let's see if the Jets could. Like, any other Jets team, that that is the laughing stock for the next couple of weeks. But now the fact that that's actually not even really mentioned anymore, I think goes to show how strong this team is actually performing on the field. It, it was an unbelievable win, a win that sets the tone for the remainder of the season. 
I guess we'll call it unfortunately, they come into their bye here. I mean, you would have probably liked to, I mean, I'm sure the Jets are rearing to go to Foxborough right now and get another crack at the Patriots. But considering the Jets are a little nicked up, bye week, get healthy, fully game plan. You know, Zach is going to really, you, you would have to think he's going to come in with as much prep as possible for this Patriots team that just made him look like a non-NFL caliber quarterback just two weeks ago. So there's a lot coming up with this Patriots matchup after the bye. But for now, I mean, there's nothing but to do than bask in the glory of this just shocking and I would say season-altering victory over the Bills. Yeah, definitely shocking for sure. Definitely didn't think a win was going to be in the cards for the Jets last week, but it was. And you, you touched on every point correctly. I think the defense was clearly the reason why they won the football game. Robert Sala is a real easy guy to root for. And I think there's two coaches in New York that are easily in the conversation for coach of the year. And yeah, you know, Brees Hall's out, but Zach Wilson obviously bounced back. I think the big thing I think with Jets fans was they got on Zach Wilson for what I really felt was really one bad game all year long and just bashed him for it. And I think people forget that they just need to calm down. And it's like, look, like this is a good football team. It was one bad game. Shake it off. Move on to the next one. And that's exactly what Zach Wilson did. So I give him a lot of credit because he got a lot of criticism that I really that I that I really felt was too much for him because I felt like it was just only one game where he really did poorly. But yeah, I give credit to Robert Saul. The whole taking receipts thing, I think the Jets fans have embraced it now. I I forget if it was it was the Patriots game where someone was sitting um in the end zone and had that gigantic receipt and had like all the people on the field signing it, which I thought was really cool. So yeah, this Jets fan is embracing the fan base is embracing everything right now. It's good to see. It was a great win for them. You know, who would have thought that they were beating the Buffalo bills, but they clearly did this division. I I think it, it has been really unexpected with some of the outcomes that have played out this year. So yeah, this Jets team is now you could say that they're for real. You know, we had that point with the giants, Earlier in the year, what was going to be that point with the Jets? This win against a high-powered offense in Buffalo definitely proves that that they're a team that's for real. Yeah, and and you you touched on Zach there. I mean, the the narrative coming out of that Patriots week was that there it is it almost like a foregone conclusion that the fan base was just totally done, and the I mean, especially the the sports talk scene on a national level was just tearing them to pieces, and and rightfully so for that performance. But it was. It was almost like people were ready just to move on to the next chapter, and that Zach. There, it was. It seemed like there was no way that Zach could be the future of the Jets. Is what the narrative was, and you give it a week. He obviously calmed down. Did Zach go out and 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 light the world on fire in this game? No, but against a stout Buffalo Bills defense, no turnovers. He made the big throw, the big throws in the fourth when you needed it. I mean that throw to Denzel Mims. I mean, what a turnaround for the for Denzel Mims. Like, like that that's the the most important play of the game was that conversion to Denzel Mims to keep that last drive going that put the Jets ahead. I mean, it is Zach really showed a level of poise and maturity that I think has to at least I mean, you would you would have to think that at least gives Jets fans a little more perspective that this is still a guy that is now on a games basis early into his second season considering he's missed time in both years. And I, I think he shows that the, the talent is there. 
the arm is there. I mean, he was making some throws that actually show, like you, you could clearly see why this guy was taken with such with that that was such a high a high highly touted prospect. I mean, you saw the the out of slot arm throws. Like that's the stuff that like the when when people said like like his original thing was Mormon Mahomes. I mean, you saw him dipping, bringing the arm down, hitting receivers. Like he has that zip, he has the throw. Like the arm is there. It's like it's the the most crucial thing for young quarterbacks. It's can he tighten up the decision making? And in this game he did and that paid dividends and you relied on the run game. James Robinson had had a nice little game. He him and Michael Carter basically shared touches on the ground. Robinson got in the end zone through the air. Carter got in the end zone on the ground. And I mean, again, like you're the, the days of the game wrecking sixty yard run for the Jets is probably over. Like that is what Brees Hall brings to the table. But for the Jets, they get to have two running backs that like Mike Carter, twelve for seventy six, and James Robinson, thirteen for forty eight. I mean, they definitely did a solid job on the ground. And it was against a team like Buffalo, being able to keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And and you remember now, the Jets' offensive line is, I mean, decimated. There's no other way to put it. I mean, I could. it's a laundry list of names. It, you could fill out a CBS receipt length of Jets' offensive linemen that are out. So for them to actually have a pretty solid run game without most of their offensive line that was projected to start and their starting running back, I mean, that that speaks to just the depth that has been built here. And a lot of that goes, goes to Joe Douglas. I mean, he assembled a roster that could, actually handle losing, I would say, your two most impactful offensive players up until they got injured, Brees and AVT. So a, a lot of credit to go around for this one. We we touched on Robert Sala, the defense. I mean, just Joe Douglas to assemble this depth. Zach Wilson looked good. I mean, you could actually, him and Garrett Wilson, the Wilson to Wilson connection is coming. Like it, it's now really taken a nice step in the last couple of weeks. Garrett Wilson, again, eight catches for 92 yards. You could, it just feels like at every given turn, he's hit, he's finding Garrett Wilson. And it's it's really nice to see this is a guy you used at 10th overall. And he is seeming to to really start to actually connect with Zach. And that's what you that's what you dreamed of when you took him here to have that alpha receiver on the outside that could actually that, that could be Zach's guy. I mean, we've seen there, there's now a proven track record of what bringing in a dominant receiver could do for quarterbacks. It, it's at this point, it's that's becoming the wave. It's getting AJ Brown for Jalen hurts. It's getting Tyree kill for Tua. It's getting Stefan Diggs for Josh Allen and Garrett Wilson in no way is at the level of those other receivers that he's named, but he was a top 10 pick and is, was a great player in college and is starting to look really, really good and showing signs of becoming the number one receiver. The jets have lacked on a consistent year in Europe basis. So a, a lot, a lot of good signs from this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Garrett Wilson, it's evident how good he is. He can play on the outside. I also like his route running on the inside as well. Uh, but yeah, you give credit to Joe Douglas. You know, I feel like he's always been he's been a solid drafter. I won't say great, but he's been pretty solid um, in his time as GM with the Jets. And, you know, now it's coming to show. I mean, this is a young team. He made the right signings. He's He pushed the right buttons to allow Robert Sala to push the right buttons. This is a roster that he assembled that could take the hits. And, you know, we talk about um, we talk about roster construction a lot in baseball, but it's not touched on enough in football where, like, you know, you have all these teams that that sign these guys to practice squads and all this. Like Joe Douglas assembled a really good roster here this year. And I know it's young, but this is just great roster construction by Joe Douglas. And I think, 
that's something that flies under the radar with most NFL teams. It's like, well, obviously you have the Kansas City Chiefs that are loaded, and you, you there are a lot of teams who brought in good receivers, but it's all about the depth, right? Like, who's going to fill those spots when people get hurt? And and the Jets have it right now. So, yeah, I mean, credit to Joe Douglas for, for sure with what he's done and the confidence that they display in all these draft picks that that have been are in year one, year two. You know, I don't know if there's a team in the league right now who's reliant on so many high draft picks that are in their first or second year in the league. I mean, you look at this draft class alone, right? Sauce Gardner, arguably a top five cornerback in all the NFL right now. Garrett Wilson, we just talked about him and the way he's coming on really strong. They took him a 10th overall. Brees Hall, obviously up for the season, but he was a game-changing weapon for the Jets. And and hopefully, I mean, you got to wait for the see how he recovered from the ACL, but he's a guy that should be helping the Jets for years to come. Those are three guys right there that have changed the outlook of this team. And we haven't even mentioned, but before you have to say three names before you even mention Jermaine Johnson. That's a guy that the Jets traded up into the first round to get, and he made one of the most crucial plays of this game, which was that sack of Josh Allen in the fourth quarter, setting up, s- setting up a longer, a longer play for the for the Bills to be able to keep that drive going when the Jets took the lead. I mean, like Jermaine Johnson. I mean, he's not waiting the world on fire, but he's missed some time, and this is a guy that, as a rookie, is is putting up some solid production. I mean, the guy does it is getting to the quarterback. He does have two and a half sacks. I mean, that's that's something considering the the that he's he's only. Let's see here. He's only played. I know he's missed a couple games so far this year. I mean, for a guy that's that's not out there on a day in day out basis, two and a half sacks, stepping up in the big play in the fourth quarter when the Jets. He's only played six games. I mean, th- this is a guy that is is an afterthought in this draft class. And you think what if he could really come on alongside Quinn Williams and Carl Lawson? I mean, you, you talk about game changing, the way drafts change teams. I mean, we saw it years back with that Saints draft that brought in uh, just a massive haul that helped set them up. This could be one of those classes for the Jets that when you look back a couple in a couple of years, you're like, wow, that draft really just sent the Jets on an upward trajectory towards hopefully consistent contention. And that's, I mean, we're at the point now, I was thinking about this. The Jets, obviously now, you would have to think have, from the outside, they got to be viewed as one of those teams that, wow, that is a championship power structure in regards to the defense and the run game. Like, they have the bones, like the way I referred to the Colts preseason about having like that. They, they were supposed to have a great offensive line, a great run game, a really good defense. The Jets really have all those things. And it's the one question mark is the quarterback play. And we saw what the Jets could get out of, let's call it solid quarterback play this week from Zach Wilson. What happens if Zach takes, I mean, I'm not asking for the, for the huge step into, into whatever you want, the Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. But what, what if he just starts playing good, just good week and week out football? with what this defense is bringing to the table. I mean, that that makes, that makes raises the ceiling of this team by so much. And, like, there, there's going to have to start being expectations. I was I was literally thinking, what, what's going to happen next year if the Jets have another strong draft? They have all they own all their own picks, their high-level picks, their first, second, third. They have another strong draft class, make a big free agent signing or two on top of what they're building this year. I mean, what are the expectations going to be for this team? It's crazy to think. It just felt like just like yesterday, we were just dreading the start of this season. And now all of a sudden, like you, you fast forward even to at the end of this year and the expectations can be through the roof. And it's high because you look at some of the free agents. I mean, the Jets have always been able to attract the big free agent because, well, maybe not the biggest free agents, but a good solid free agent class 
some of them comes with the Jets. People like playing for the Jets. I don't know what it is, but people like playing for the Jets. You know, C.J. Mosley's been here for a while. Obviously, you know, we don't want to like talking about the Le'Veon Bell era, but still, that was a big free agent that ended up coming to the Jets. People like playing here, and I think it's because they, they trust the fact that, you know, the management of this organization has been pretty consistent over the last handful of years. So, yeah, the future's bright. It, it only makes you look forward to what they can do in the next draft. And, and you're right about Zach Wilson. Like, he doesn't even have to play to full potential. This Jets team could be a playoff team. This year, it could still be the case next year if you get a big free agent. I mean, we may very well see a Jets team that could make a deep playoff run, miraculously, and not have the best version of their quarterback. I mean, who could say that? No, it's it's it shows really what they've built built around him. And like like I'm not trying to project out. Obviously, like we're talking about the future and stuff because it's hard not to really get excited about the long term. And you especially think when you when you get some of your injured guys back. But like look at the at the outlook of the division right now. I mean, the Jets are right in the thick of it. I mean, this all four teams are over 500, but the Bills are six and two, the Jets are six and three, the Dolphins are six and three, and the Patriots are five, five and four. I know, like obviously, we're we're just thrilled to see ourselves in. Just in when in the playoff picture in general, and it's great. I, I'm any version of this Jets team that is in the postseason is a total and complete success. But like at this point, I mean, Josh Allen, we we saw right now he's he's his at least for this upcoming week, his status is a little murky. He's been having some elbow issues, and and of course the last thing you want to do is just as a football fan to see Josh Allen go down. But if this is not full full blown Josh Allen, I mean, is this division? up for grabs i mean the bills have an zero and two division record the jets at worst are going to split with them the jets have already beat miami and buffalo so at worst it's going to be a split in regards to the tiebreaker so then the next tiebreaker is division record the bills are zero and two in division the jets are two and one in division the dolphins are two and one in division the next tiebreaker is conference record bills and dolphins are four and two in division the jets are five and five and Four and two in conference the jets are five and three in conference i mean the jets are starting to at least position themselves where if they could hang around toward the late end, they might have some tiebreakers in their favor. And that could be absolutely huge. I mean, again, like uh, even a Josh Allen-less Buffalo is probably still the division favorites because of just how great they are at other places. But it at least opens up the window that maybe the Jets could potentially have a division title on the line by the end of the season. And and that, not to say that falling short of that would be a disappointment. We know it's not, but but at this, why not shoot for the stars? The Jets have given you reason to believe. I mean, now after this, there, there's no. Is there one game you go into the rest of the way and you're like, man, the Jets can't win this one? There's nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose if you're this Jets team. You came in here with minimal expectations, and you're six and three. You're you're beating teams that nobody thought you were going to beat if you were to ask them four months ago. So yeah, I mean, this is a it's a great division. Like we talked about the the, the competition. Uh, of the NFC uh, East. I mean, this is this is on another level here uh, of competition. All the teams are above 500. Who knows when the last time that was? And that, 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 that seems like a rarity. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as the Jets keep winning the important football games. Like, obviously, New England was a tough loss. Bills, ultimately, at the end of the day, no matter how good Buffalo is and how, no matter how bad the Jets have been in past years, is always an important football game, not only for morale, but just, you know, get a nice division win, boost your momentum a little bit. They've been doing that. So they go into the bye, you know, 
hope they recover a little bit. And then you have some more individual matchups coming up, obviously, against New England. So, you know, I think everything's looking forward. And I think with this Jets team, I think it's a positive thing that they beat Buffalo. And I think they can make a big response going into Foxborough, a place where they've had trouble winning over the last few years. I mean, you got to win that game. I'm yeah, sorry. It's, you it's absolutely have to win that game. They embarrassed you on your home field. And you have to show game. you have to show that you could correct it because you corrected whatever you did wrong in New, uh, against New England two weeks ago, and you did it against Buffalo. So whatever you have to game plan for against New England, it better be right. And I get it. Going into Foxborough in itself is a tough task. Bill Belichick, whatever. This has been a team that has absolutely dominated the Jets for ye- year after year. And if this Jets team is going to be what we hope they are, which is a legit playoff caliber team that could go in and potentially win some big games later in the year, it starts with overcoming the demons that have that have been in your in your presence for 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 their recent history. And that is the New England Patriots. I I I, I don't care that they're that they're not a great New England Patriots team. They're clearly solid. They're five and four, and they've already beat you. You just this is just to me one level of the process that you have to overcome, like being the Patriots would just, it would just mean something different. And, and, and I think that's just the perfect stepping stone is now you get a chance after a buy, you're going to have two full weeks to game plan and totally go into this matchup guns blazing. Cause you know, the jets are going to be motivated to write, to write that wrong from a couple weeks ago. And you know, the Patriots are on their heels to, to stick it to the jets and be like, we don't care about this feel good season. You're having We're we still own you like, like, they're they're gonna be just as reared up for this. So this is a massive one and, and I'm and I'm really looking forward to it. I think for 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 the bye, I really hope the Jets are just all in here on and making it clear this is just one that it, it this one's gonna hit a little different if they win it, and it's certainly gonna gonna just be deflating if they lose it. So Absolutely. I mean, it's it's great to look forward to. And the cool thing about it is we can come on for another episode and keep talking about it on episode 11 next week. So it, it's it's going to be a fun time uh, next week when we break it down a little more. But I mean, I think the priority for the Jets now is get healthy, recover. Let, let, let's talk about it from a team perspective here. Let, have them recover so you have everyone you need at 100% going to New England because that's, you know, you could say the Buffalo game is the most important game of the season. This game against New England is, I think, is the most important game of the season coming up. I mean, when you're when you're a good team, the most important game of the season is the one in front of you. You got to put right. it behind you. It's a great win. Don't get me wrong. And now the bye, they're going to be able to really to to, to enjoy that. But if if you're going to be a legitimate contender, you got to move on and turn the page onto the next one here. So really looking forward to see how the Jets respond after the bye week. So we'll leave that there with the Jets. And speaking of bye weeks. The New York Giants are also on their bye week, but it was not the, the the quiet recovery week that we're detailing that we want the Jets to have. They actually lost one of their starting players, and that is Xavier McKinney. He got into a little accident in Cabo. He claims that he was on a sightseeing tour, and an ATV that he was on flipped over, and therefore he is now out for... At least the immediate future, he there. There's no specific timeline yet. He has not went on IR, but he had to have surgery on his fingers, and that is just a brutal blow for a Giants team that it seemed like everything was going right. What has been 
a dysfunctional organization for the last couple of years. It felt like Brian Dable, Joe Shane, and this is in no way an indictment on those things, but it's hard just not to think, man, this is such a old giants thing to happen. And it's, it's, it's pretty brutal to have one of your starting safeties. Who's been an impact player for you be out here for, I mean, at, at this moment indefinitely. So it's, that's a, that's a it's tough like one the to Miami swallow. boat picture all over again, essentially in a way, I mean, this is hard to deal with. I find it hard to believe that a sightseeing tour, wherever he was on an ATV flipped over. I think that's something that they're just trying to keep in house, but that's the way the giants are run. Now they're running away where they don't want anyone to know these injuries or something stupid and on vacation, but you know, good for him for going to Cabo, just, you know, be a little smart. Um, now, if that is the case, if it's true, then I'll eat my words, but I personally don't, think that I can believe that we're going on vacation, but you know, it's definitely tough for the giants. Don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, the benefit that the giants have is that they have two winnable games coming up. They have Houston. And then I believe they play the lions the week after. So, you know, maybe surgery on your fingers, you know, I hope it doesn't take that long to recover from. You never know, but yeah, McKinney's an important player. They're going to lose out on him. And then everything in practice from what I've seen so far is that, you know, a lot of media attention has been on, you know, the return of Kenny Galladay, which I'll just say, okay. So, you know, I think that a little bit more of a drama filled week if you're a New York football Giants fan, but you have a couple easy opponents coming up. So big losses, you could potentially get a game, Kenny Galladay, who knows how he's going to factor into the offense. But, you know, I, I think the fact that they have Houston and Detroit coming up will make things a little easier. Yeah, I mean, we sort of gave the Giants a bit of a reprieve for their performance against Seattle. I mean, we, we really didn't go too crazy on them. That that was a game against a tough Seattle team and a tough place to play. That I, I guess we could even say we sort of expected that that one sort of come up and, and bite the Giants. But it's just something, it, it's just got to rub you a bit the wrong way in a season that's been going so well that, a play, I mean, we, we probably won't ever know the full details of what happened, but like, that a player would even put themselves in a position where they could potentially get injured. I mean, this is this is a guy that is a starter on your defense. Like that is for a team that has been relying so much on the defense. Like that is that's that's pretty brutal. And I'm just I'm looking into it here. This is an injury that is typically takes about one to two months to come back from. That would put him in jeopardy for the season. I mean, he's he he was put on the non-football injury list. That is a minimum of four games. I mean, that is that's big. I mean, I now you wonder how that how does that go over in the locker room? I mean, there, there's there's little things here that that might not bode great for the Giants. So, I mean, again, is is Xavier McKinney's absence going to totally derail the Giants' season? I would say probably not, but it's something that that's that's something you could definitely think of when you look moving forward how this Giants defense and how this team as a whole whole operates. Defense is a very chemistry driven thing. I mean. I think it could even be more chemistry driven than offense, but you know, and it's hard because the giants have been banged up too. You know, obviously their offensive line is hurt a lot. Um, and and now McKinney goes down on defense. So yeah, I mean, this is tough. So if he's going to be out four weeks, you still have plenty of division games that need to be played. And he's probably going to miss them all or most of them. Not exactly what you want to see in giants land. No, but again, like you said, some winnable games coming up. The Giants have more than well put themselves in a position where just they they've taken care of business when they've needed to, and, and the schedule really just does not 
get any tougher. So I, I, I think for the Giants now, they're in a similar spot with the Jets. Like you're on pace to be a playoff team. And it's it's almost it's a house money situation. I mean, just getting to the playoffs is gonna be a nice franchise stepping stone for a team that has been in, in the gutter for recent years. It's gonna instill a great word of confidence, you would think, in and out of house in the new regime with Dable and Shane. And just getting this this franchise back on the right track, no matter how legit you think this Giants team is, or or Daniel Jones or any of that stuff, just seeing them play winning caliber football, that that, that has an impact on in the building. That has an impact at potential free agents. Like there, there's some just good, but getting good vibes coming out of the Giants building as a whole is great. And they're gonna really they really the opportunities in front of them. The the schedule is in their way, is in their favor, and you just want to see them keep doing doing what they do. It they 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 get in the close game and they typically find a way to come out of it because they play solid fundamental football that is centered around the the ground game and defense, similar to the Jets. Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones, do your job, don't turn it over, play winning football. When those two quarterbacks do that, it results to good things. So I think that's really where we we stand on the Giants, if you have anything more on Big Blue. No, I think New York football's still in a really good spot. No, absolutely. So the we lose the Jets this week, but the Giants come back. So next week will be we'll we'll dive heavily into the Giants performance over the Texans and we'll do what we did this week with the Giants for the Jets. We'll we'll briefly hit on their upcoming matchup with the Patriots, but we're we're here. We're in that mid that's just the full blown swing of the football season where both teams are getting a little bit you're starting to see what they're really about in the bye week. So We'll leave it there on New York football, and we will transition to New York basketball. And it's convenient because the Knicks and Nets just wrapped up about, I don't know, an hour ago. They they played each other, and the Brooklyn Nets dismantled the New York Knicks, uh, 112 to 85. So this And this came the day that the Nets decided to promote Jacques Vaughn to head coach. They removed the interim tag, and that is big news because – we sort of gave the Nets uh, their due in regards to some criticism when we thought they were going to bring in Ime Udoka, the the currently suspended Boston Celtics head coach. And we we said there the fact that the Brooklyn Nets could potentially add another distraction, another potential issue in regards to the the morality of the franchise. That was we did not think that was a good look nor a good decision for them. And and they they turned it around here and they. It seems like I don't know whether it was public pressure. I don't know if the players said something about this. I don't know if it had to do with the Nets winning a couple games immediately after Steve Nash was fired. I don't know what went into the decision, but ultimately they did decide to axe Udoka, the, the process of bringing in Udoka, and they're going to roll forward with Jacques Vaughn for his contract is for this year and next year. So I, I think I, from a Nets perspective, I definitely think this was the right way to go. You eliminate what was going to be a huge. I mean, you could only imagine that that first Udoka press conference. I mean, this has been the best kept secret in sports. What happened with Ime Udoka in Boston? But you know the new. I mean, you're going to bring him into the New York in the midst of this whole Kyrie Irving situation. I mean, that was just a disaster waiting to happen. And since, and really since Kyrie has been suspended, I mean, and and Nash is firing those two. Instances were sort of went down within a couple of days of each other. The Nets have been, the Nets have been playing better basketball. They they they've strung together. Now I think it's three out of four, and you're, they've put themselves in a spot here where they're crawling out of that hole they were in. They're five and seven, 
So maybe there's there's brighter times ahead for the Nats, not only on the court, but hopefully off of it now, considering that they're going to move forward with Vaughn and Kyrie is in the midst of doing whatever ultimatum the Nets have given him to get back on the court. But the the, the Nets seem to at least have things back on track. And and that one loss in these last three, they they took down, they destroyed Washington. They won a, a close one at Charlotte. I mean, this I don't know if you caught uh, yesterday with Kevin Durant at the free throw line. Down three, three free throws. He misses one, and then that ends up costing them the game. And then they tore apart the Knicks tonight. So they they've been in all their games. They've won three out of four. We'll we'll start with the Nets, considering they were the ones that won tonight. And and the Jock Vaughn news. Well, I think it was the right thing to do. I mean, this organization would have been super tone deaf if they would have gone out and hired another boys club kind of guy who's free and just doesn't care about ethics whatsoever. That would have been a bad move for the organization. Do I think there was some pressure on the nets? Yes, because I feel like in any other regime, they would have just let Jock Vaughn ride out the interim tag and then go hunting in the off season. This was a little different though. And I think it's good for the next, because I think this actually gives them a little bit more credibility as, you know, naming a guy, a head coach, who's actually a the basketball nets. guy. Nets. The Knicks. I think you said sorry. the Knicks. Yeah, Did no. I say the Knicks? I don't remember. It's been a long day. Um, you know, I think it's a bad. It's a basketball move because this is a basketball guy. Like Steve Nash, great player. No one knew he could be a coach. Ime Udoka, getting involved in stuff that no employee of any major league sports team should ever get involved in. Criticism with Kyrie Irving. I mean, you're just gonna pile that on. You mentioned the New York media would have been all over it. They're all over every little situation. It's been, and honestly, over the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you've been following around the whole landscape of sports, the amount of drama and criticism that has gone on with players and signings of people who have done some bad things in the world. It's just awful timing. So giving Jock Vaughn the the head coaching uh, title is a good thing. And they go into the garden and they thump the Knicks, which – Look, we've said it all all few weeks that the NBA has been back. The margin of error of the Knicks is very small, and the Nets were able to take advantage of it. You know, Kevin Durant, once again, being able to take out that guy to take over a game, it's just never – you can never count out the Nets, obviously. And that was the case of it tonight where they, you know, kind of – I think this is a guy that they can actually play for. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were – or at least Kevin Durant seemed to be a little tired of playing for Steve Nash. I feel like this is a guy that – Kevin Durant and company would be willing to play for. Yeah, I mean, the Nets just, they shot the, the absolute lights out tonight. I mean, over 40% from three. They, it just felt like everything that they threw up was going down. I mean, Seth Curry hit six three-pointers. Edmund Sumner, go, I mean, 18 points out of him, three three-pointers. KD did his thing. And you know what? We've, we've totally torn apart everything the Nets have done, starting from the firing of Kenny Atkins and the where we got now. I mean, the one guy, I mean, and I'm not a fan of this player, but he has been the one thing that every night does his job. And again, he doesn't keep his mouth shut, but he never says anything that's out of line. And that's Kevin Durant. I mean, he has been just at the, a model of, for a franchise that has had distractions and and um, just just toxicity at every given corner. Kevin Durant has just went out there and been one of the five best basketball players in the world on any given night. I mean, once again, just it feels like it's not even getting much talk. He's averaging over 30, 
30 points a game. And he is doing what he does, which is be able to score at all time levels. And you got to give him credit. I mean, it's, it's just been another tumultuous season where you, you you're dealing with the whole Kyrie situation, a head coaching change. And just amidst all of it, he just goes out there and gets his buckets. I mean, I don't know what it could, besides what we've literally seen with him getting injured in his career. I don't think there's anything that could shake this guy off of just being an absolute offensive force. You, you got to at least, I mean, we we've been more than willing to criticize this Nets organization from top to bottom. There's if there's credit to go anywhere, it's the KD. Yeah, absolutely. And he's never really had anything to deal with in his past stops. Like OKC, they don't have do they even have media in Oklahoma City? Like he just goes out there and plays basketball. Now the Warriors move, obviously, we discussed last podcast, was a little soft, but he could just go out there and play basketball because he had all the guys around him. I mean, this is a guy who gets criticized heavily, who's got idiot teammates around him. And, you know, he goes out there and beats Kevin Durant. It's almost like like the latter years of Melo as a Nick was like, okay, he's scoring, you know, he's shooting the ball more than anybody on planet Earth, but he's being Carmelo Anthony and there's not much that he can do. That's exactly what Kevin Durant's doing. You know, he's being a top five player in the league and there's not much more you can ask from him. So honestly, good on him for just keeping his head straight on basketball because there's a lot of guys on that Nets team who whose minds clearly wander. And And with what? Kevin Durant did to the Knicks tonight, it was a front row seat to what the Knicks greatly lack. And we went to it in depth last week. There's there the the lack of star power on this team, the lack of that guy that could go out and absolutely change the game, whether that be offensively or on both sides of the floor, that is what is going to hold the Knicks back. I mean, the Knicks have just been super, super average this year. I mean, they sit at five and six. They've pretty much beat the teams that they should beat, lost the teams they should lose to. I mean, I'm I'm really waiting for that game in this next season where I'm just like, wow, that is shocking. Whether it be good or bad, whether that is them going out and and taking down a power or or just dropping one to one of the the bottom feeders. I mean, the fact that the Knicks have been so consistent in the fact that the they they take care of the good teams and lose to the bad teams, it just shows you what the Knicks are. They lie in the middle. And it, it's it sort of leaves you wanting for more. And we, we were talking about, I mean, a report came out today uh, from Shams. The, reportedly, the Knicks are stockpiling draft picks for a, quote, megastar. I mean, it's like the boy that cried wolf at this point. I mean, yes, the, the Knicks, we know the Knicks are stockpiling draft picks. But at what point are they going to actually act on it? I mean, it's like it's like you hear the same old thing. Star after star goes on the market and they don't trade for them. It's like, it's. I mean, I don't believe you anymore like i i don't see it coming like i'm waiting for you to actually pull the trigger and make that move that seriously lifts the potential of this knicks team and we we, we talked about it last week but what donovan mitchell and dejounte murray have brought to their new teams and the knicks the knicks just lack it i mean it's you said the, the perfect way to phrase it is what you said they have a very slim margin for error the guys that they do have that can produce on any given night at those levels, whether that's Randall Barrett or Brunson, they're not going to do it consistently, but on any given night, they could give you a star game. They're going to need at least two, maybe even three of those guys to actually go out and, and take down a good team. Like that is what it's going to take. And we, we saw that in the Timberwolves game. All three of them had really good nights. They win in a game like tonight, Julius Randall plays well, but you don't get the same production that you would have hoped out of, Barrett and Brunson, they lose. 
I mean, th- that's really what we're going to be looking for here on a night in night out basis. Like, like getting like good from those guys is not going to cut it. You're going to need a, a combined great. And that's just the, the part that is going to make this way harder because when you could get that great just from one guy, then you could live with the, with the solid from your secondary pieces like Bronson and Barrett. But without that guy, that's going to be that elite level talent. You're going to need them to all be stepping up simultaneously to make up for that lack. The kids are using the word mid nowadays. I mean, that's kind of what the Knicks are at this point, if that. Uh, And the sad thing is you mentioned all those guys who, you know, stockpiling draft picks for these big stars. The sad thing is, is that when it comes to New York and the criticisms of playing New York, the Knicks don't deserve that criticism because there's no drama really in the Knicks organization. The only drama that the Knicks have ever that that the Knicks have had in the last, we'll call it eight years, that they haven't done anything. That's really the only drama that's gone on in New York. I mean, uh, from the Knicks side, this isn't Yankee Stadium where you get booed. Where you get booed, you can basically say the same thing for the Mets, and you know it isn't hockey either. And, you know, football is obviously different. I mean, and the Nets are just a disaster of an organization. Like, this is a supposed to be a well-run first-class organization. People love playing at the Garden. Look at notable performances of any superstar on planet Earth. Like, Javante Murray's notable regular season performance. There. Donovan Mitchell this season. There. Kobe Bryant's 81 points at the Garden. Like, people like playing here. And the Knicks... Management is just unwilling to to just act. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, well, I think it was when we started previewing the NBA. It's like, oh, well, Donovan Mitchell, you know, great player, but would it have been the right move for the organization based on, you know, capital they had to give up for him? Yeah, it, it would have been because this team is, is, is nothing. Like, if you have to sacrifice R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell, I know how much you love R.J. Barrett, but I'm sorry. Like, this team needs a real superstar. They just don't have that. Three guys don't make a one. No, not in the NBA. The little yeah. three is it's just it's, it's not not in the NBA. Three three goods don't equal great in basketball. Right. You need the greats. And I just want to, I mean, they they're gonna need someone to to really hit the market. Um, and and I would say for me, like when talking about just like the the garden, to me it dates back to that Steph Curry coming out party right. at the garden. I mean, Kobe's eighty one. I think it was against the Raptors. So that wasn't at the garden, but there he is had some notable performance at the garden. No, oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. That goes, I mean, th- there is a, a proven guys. I mean, it, it's funny because the true superstars in the game, I feel like everyone says, where's your favorite place to play? Madison Square Garden, the Mecca of basketball, this, that, the other. Well, I mean, you never want to play here. So that's a little upsetting, but everyone seems to love it here. The bright lights in New York City. So we're waiting for that guy. I mean, I'll throw out a name because I've been seeing this trend a little bit. The Minnesota Timberwolves have not looked great in this Rudy Gobert version of the team. And to me, you could tell a lot of when a player's on, like body language says a lot, especially with these athletes. They make it so clear how they're feeling. We've seen it with previous guys, whether that's James Harden or AD. You could just tell when they're out of it. Anthony Edwards does not look fully invested in the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. And it's early. I mean, this guy is early in his NBA career. I mean, it would, it would be, it's it's very unlikely that he's able to work his way out at this early stage in his in, in his career. But he could be a potential guy that would make sense for the Knicks. 
And, and I mean, Minnesota, they just invested all that draft capital into getting Rudy Gobert. There's no way they're going to let this guy go unless something just absolutely catastrophic happened. But maybe he's an aim to at least start monitoring. I mean, it's not like Donovan Mitchell's trade. Kansas City came out of nowhere. People had been on him as a, as a target for years. So maybe this is just the beginning of potentially some groundwork being laid for Anthony Edwards being moved. But that's the caliber of guy that you would love to see the Knicks at least target. Another guy, Shai Gildas Alexander. I mean, he's now been around, and, and he's really just really taking that step to, like, he's going to be an all-star this year, and he he is an absolute scoring machine. You wonder what Oklahoma City's trying to do. I mean, you know they're obviously trying to get as good draft picks this year as you can. They lose Chet Holmgren for the year. Are they trying to build around Shai, or is he going to be that last piece they move to get that last huge haul of draft capital, and then they just move forward? I mean, that's interesting an interesting target, but if if this rumor is true, the Knicks are already looking to move on and they, they're, they're getting that itch for that star. Well, it's got to come from somewhere. Someone's got to either want out or there's got to be an organization that's willing to move off of a guy. So those are a couple of names I think are at least worth monitoring if you're the Knicks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they need somebody. And I think if there's a team that can make a big splash at the deadline, look, I mean, I hate throwing it back to times I remember more, but like, when the Knicks traded for Melo, they were kind of that middle-of-the-pack team that needed that superstar. This Knicks team is in desperate need of that superstar more than ever. Uh, I think it's it's worth giving it a shot now to a guy who, you know, clearly people want to be here. You can lock up a guy long-term. This isn't going to be some sort of rental thing. Like, this is going to be, you know, this will be a permanent thing if the Knicks would be able to get it done. The problem is, is that, is there too much ineptitude for them to get it done? I don't know, but they need to act because relying on Julius Randle to be your number one every night or R.J. Barrett to be your number one every night doesn't help. And Jalen Brunson, no matter how good he is in that performance that he had, I know, a couple weeks ago, is not a number one scorer on any NBA basketball team in the league. He is not a number one scorer overseas, period. It's just, it's just it's not feasible. I mean, at least that Knicks team before they got at least they had Amari Stoudemire. Right. Like, that's yeah. Awesome. They were still I mean, mid and they were still knew that they needed a superstar. I mean, this Knicks team doesn't have a player of Amari's caliber in his prime. I mean, it shows just how in need they are for that type of player. It that um, we're gonna beat this drum until it happens. We've been I've I've been beating this drum for my entire life as a Knicks fan. Or at least since I guess we'll call it the post mellow era. So we're we're, we're gonna keep waiting, and until then it's gonna be a lot of this. It's gonna be a lot of oh, nice Knicks win. Oh man, Knicks couldn't. Knicks fell short again. It's going to be a back and forth and a cycle where they're going to hover around five hundred. They're going to do what you expect, and you're you're just waiting. Whether that's from the outside or an internal guy taking that huge step, which I think right now it's way more likely that they're able to find that guy from the outside. I I, I don't know. I mean, RJ, he's definitely going to be a. We 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 know what RJ is. He's a quality two way player that has a role on a really good basketball team. But is maybe that role is just not the alpha number one. So I, I think that's 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 where the Knicks stand. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's like, yeah, the Knicks are gonna win. They play a boring brand of basketball. That's just how they rolled. Oh, the Knicks win. It was the who was your leading scorer? You know, RJ Barrett and Julius Randle had 18 points. It's it's just it, that's not the modern day NBA anymore. Even when Jeremy Lin took over Lin Sanity, there were still games where he led the team because he was scoring 17 points. You know, it, it, they need a guy just desperately. And I don't have a problem coming on here every week and keep saying it because it's kind of fun. It's a boring brand of basketball and it's not going to go anywhere until they make a roster change. 
I mean, trust me, I, I would not be upset. I, I'd love to be proven wrong. I would love to see a consistent night and night out from these, they're, they're, as I dub them, mid three. If Julius Randle, Brunson, and Barrett could maybe start stockpiling together games where they're all simultaneously playing well enough to actually be able to take down a team with a, a real with, with a star or a superstar, that, that'd, be, that'd be a pleasant surprise. My gut tells me that's not going to be the case. So Yeah, yeah basketball's just better with the Knicks in contention. I mean, it, it's just like a lack of – I don't know what it is. Like, the NBA, sports world is better when the Knicks are good. They had that one spark in the COVID-shortened year, and it's gone. I mean, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just, you know, continue your thoughts. No, that, that was really where I think I wanted to leave it with the Knicks. I mean, it's still early in the NBA season, but you, you realistically – I think you sort of see where this season is is going. But, I mean, it's been an interesting start to the NBA year. I mean, the the Lakers, I mean, we talked about them a couple episodes ago. Things are not going well over there. I mean, you have a team like the Los Angeles Clippers that many thought were a title favorite. Kawhi Leonard, I mean, it's been the story of his career. You just can't rely on this guy to be on the court. The Utah Jazz that were supposed to tear it down to the studs are your current number one seed in the Western Conference. I mean, that you would think I was from Mars if I told you at any point after night one, if they were one and oh. I mean, the Jazz are 10 and three, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop. I mean, like, I, they're one of my favorite teams to watch in the NBA right now. Like, they got, they, they got a rookie head coach with a bunch of pieces from teams that didn't want these guys, and, and they've, they've really put on. A great show. Like that, that's what you take note out of the West. And when you look at the East really fast, I mean, Giannis and Tenacupo in that wagon in Milwaukee, 10 and 1, leading the East, as many thought they would. I mean, you, you sort of look at the middle there. The Philadelphia 76ers are just sort of they're sort of sputtering. You lose James Harden for a month. And they're right now they're five and six. They'll probably just keep hovering around five hundred, wait to get Harden back. You have the occasional Embiid explosion that'll win you a game. But that's a team that I think you don't really worry about them until it starts getting later in the year. If things aren't picking up, I, I think you like that's a team that's going to be in the playoffs as, as long as things don't totally explode. And then I guess from a disappointing view, obviously you have the Nets at five and seven and the Miami Heat at four and seven. So you definitely keep an eye out on those two teams. But just to run through a quick couple early narratives in the NBA, things to watch out for. I don't think there's a better time to introduce this. It's not going to be an every episode thing, but. We when it's relevant, we're gonna we we want to acknowledge the two New York hockey teams, and they actually they played last night. The New York Islanders beat the New York Rangers four to three after a massive third period comeback for the Islanders. And I know you're fired up about it, Harris. I know, like I know when you know when to defer to me for something, and I know when to defer to you. And you're definitely the hockey guy on this podcast. And considering that they just played last, similar to the Knicks and Nets tonight. The Rangers and Islanders yesterday, and the Islanders are off to a great start at nine and five. The Rangers, some would say, are off to a disappointing start at six and five. I would just love to get your quick thoughts on, on the New York hockey scene. Yeah, I mean, really exciting last night. I'm glad you threw that in there because I was really happy with the New York Islanders. Obviously, with a big comeback at the Garden, which has really become a place where the Islanders have had a lot of success. Semyon Varlamov played well. He had a shutout streak of. 251 minutes broken in that game, and those minutes all came at the Garden. He hadn't allowed, he hadn't allowed a goal at the Garden in, in nearly three years. So that was really impressive. But no, great resilient effort by the Islanders. They looked like the Islanders of 
not last year because it was a disappointing year, but they looked like the New York Islanders that brought them to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals appearances. Teams that were down and they never gave up. They never quit. And it was two nights in a row because they played Calgary the night before. And both those games against Calgary and at the Garden, they were down 3-1 to one heading into the third period. And it just felt like this team wasn't going to lose. And that's just the identity of this team. I mean, Anders Lee with, with a great goal at the end of the game. The Islanders have great goaltending. Noah Dobson has come up big. So, you know, for everyone saying, oh, and there was a lot of criticism on the Islanders. You know, they didn't sign anybody. They didn't sign anybody in free agency. There is, there is, I think, one new player on the roster. And it is a forward who's on the fourth line when he gets his opportunities. Everyone was criticizing Lou Lamorello. When is he going to get that big superstar? But guess what? Last year, they had to deal with COVID. They had to deal with a 13-game road trip because it took forever to build UBS Arena. Like, this Islanders team is back to what it was when they were going to the Eastern Conference Finals, those back-to-back years against the Lightning. So it's special. I will say, on the other end, that it's still early in the season, so we'll see what happens. But the Rangers get to, to the Rangers side of things. They have an elite goaltender, Igor Shesterkin. Don't get me wrong. But they. I was listening to Spinning Chicklets this morning, and I mentioned mid with the Knicks. The Rangers are a really mid team right now. They have great offense, but they have a lot of young guys on defense that just can't get the job done. Braden Schneider, Zach Jones, two young kids that aren't happening. My favorite goalie from the past, my high school days, Jarl Halak is on the Rangers. They can't provide him with good backup situation for Igor Shesterkin. A goalie can only keep in the game for so long, and that's why I think it's really valuable that the Islanders held on to Semyon Varlamov in the offseason. Even though you're paying your backup $5 million, which is, you know, it is what it is. Varley's still a guy who can get the job done, and he did last night. So good for the Islanders to get it done. I, I do feel like this team is back to form. It's still early in the season, but I really do feel that vibe. And uh, I, I'm excited for the future. I will be back on the island for a couple of weeks starting on Tuesday. So you can see me as a frequent at UBS Arena there. I'll be going to Philly as well to see them play. So I'm really excited. You know, this hockey season – is off to a good start for the Islanders. Rangers were my early pick, honestly, to make it to the Stanley Cup final. And they're just not having it right now. I thought they made a good signing in the offseason of Vincent Trocek. It isn't working. Hockey um, is going really well in New York right now. There's been a lot of, there's been some interesting situations going on in the rest of the league. Um, But yeah, really exciting what's going on with the Islanders. And the Rangers, you know, Garden's a great place to play, but they just haven't had a lot of success at home this year. Yeah, and it's it's one of the it's that time of year where I I want to be able to take at like especially in a, an episode like this with the Giants on by next week the Jets on by I mean there's gonna be stuff going on that deserves a little mention here it was a great time to segue into a little bit of hockey I mean college football now is we were never gonna really be a podcast diving into the ins and outs of the college football season but now that we're getting the AP the AP polls coming out for the po- the playoffs on a week in week out basis we could touch on that college basketball is back. That's something that, especially with my my Syracuse Orange, I, there's always high expectations to them in in the basketball scene. So definitely a, a lot of other little things here that we're gonna start integrating towards towards the end of episode. Just quick little, just like Harris just did a quick little rundown of of the, the hockey teams, and, and we want to be able to bring a little bit of, of everything for you guys. So that yeah. that's definitely I'm, I'm glad to get you in there, Harris. I think we could definitely work that in on a on a somewhat regular basis. I know I know you're. You're passionate about hockey. I had to give you that chance to to gloat about the Isles. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was a good win for them. And, and yeah, we're in a good time of year now where, like, things are starting to heat up. College football, I know Georgia played Tennessee, and, and that was a really good game last weekend. Um, you know, college basketball is getting started, and, you know, I'm very thankful in my role that I have this year being back on uh, on a call for a high-point women's basketball team. And I know nobody really cares about it on this podcast, but I'll just say it because it's me and uh, I love that team and I'm thankful to be on those calls. This was a team that went to the NCAA tournament a couple years ago and can make a lot of noise this year. So I'm excited for college basketball. I mean, college basketball is always something that really excites me and being in the area that I am in North Carolina um, to see this really good college basketball is, is always good. So it's an exciting time of year for sure. Yeah. I mean, just to, we'll throw it in here. The, the current, as of this past week, the selection committee's college football playoff as of today would be Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, with the two teams on the outside looking in being Tennessee and Oregon. And obviously, college basketball is extremely fresh. But just I would say, if you're looking for some teams that you should be on the lookout for, the AP top 25 as of right now, we'll we'll say the top five: North Carolina, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, and Baylor. I mean, those are some. Some teams that you're you're pretty familiar seeing in that type territory, but it, it's it's a great sports time of year. But I think it is time that we go into our picks. And I have developed a severe allergy to hitting three point picks. It is out of control. I think I might need to start be thinking, okay, this is my three point pick, and then purposely moving it to my one point pick because I have no problem hitting my two or one point pick. That's not the issue. I cannot stick this three-pointer. It's week for week, and it's killing me here because my I'm hitting a majority of my picks, but if you don't hit the three-point pick, I'm falling behind. So I really need to buckle up here and and turn this around. It's it's getting to the point now where I'm 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 digging myself in a hole, and it's it's not good. I don't like being I'm competitive. I don't like losing things, but I'm really putting myself in a position here where I got to turn it around fast. So I'll, I'll start here, and I will start with my. For me, the dreaded three-point pick. And I need to put my my three-point pick's fate in a team that I have nearly blind confidence in. And if that is the case, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Minus nine and a half against the Jaguars. I mean, Jacksonville just had a nice win this past week. But it is clear that the Jaguars are not a great football team. The Kansas City Chiefs are probably seeing opportunity here now with Buffalo in flux that they could make a run at the number one seed for the bye that we know is extremely important. And I just don't see how Kansas City does not really take care of a, a subpar Jaguars team. And Kansas City at home, they it seems that Mahomes has really found a groove with Juju Smith-Schuster, another week of in, integrating Kadarius Tony into the offense. You would like to see if this offense can become a, a little more explosive. It, Mahomes really had to do it all this past week. I mean, on the ground, the way he was just absolutely crushing it for them in their win this past week over the Titans. I mean, that that was not that, that was a little bit of a risky pick on my end for my one point pick taking the Titans to cover again Kansas City on the road and and it took Kansas Mahomes really dominating on the ground, something he doesn't do often for them to be able to come out with that overtime win. But I would like to think Kansas City's not going to be too thrilled with playing that close of a game and they're going to come out roaring. So I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs minus nine and a half. For my two-point pick, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys over the Green Bay Packers. I mean, I think this is just me acknowledging Green Bay's fate, and that's that they're not a great football team. Dallas is coming off their bye. Dallas 
has had multiple brutal playoff losses to Green Bay in the last five years, so you know that they don't forget that. Dallas has a fantastic defense, so I don't see this as a spot for the Packers' struggling offense to really turn it around. So I, I think that's where I'm rolling with there. Just the simple fact that I just I, I'm done believing that this is the week that Aaron Rodgers is going to turn it around. It's not going to be against that style Cowboys defense. So I'm going to roll with the Packers there. And then for my one point pick, uh, I'll keep it consistent. I'll go Titans again, but this time minus two and a half against the Broncos. The Titans definitely got to be happy with the way they were able to contain the Kansas City Chiefs last week. And now they get to go at home against the Denver Broncos team. That is, I mean, the, the, the Broncos are also coming off the bye, but the last we saw them was in London pulling out an ugly win, but that, that win by the Broncos does not inspire me enough to not think that the the Titans cannot cover a field goal at home. And th- this week, there's a more likely chance that you get Ryan Tannehill back, but even if Malik Willis, I, I, I still like the Titans at minus two and a half against Denver. And those are my picks for now. It is, it's, it's crazy to say it for week 10 of the NFL season. It's going fast and, you know, you hope your three-point pick hits. And I think I might be able to help you this week because we actually share the same three-point oh, pick. Oh, goodness. You know, it, it, it's it's the Chiefs at minus nine and a half against Jacksonville. So maybe I'll help you shield your allergy because, you know, my three-point picks have been hitting pretty well this year. Um, number two, you know, team coming off of bye, playing, you know, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I'm going New York football Giants. Minus five and a half against Houston. I think that's a – it's a pretty safe pick, and I was honestly debating on making that my three-point pick and then looked at the Chiefs line, and I was like, okay, that's easy. And then uh, my number one pick, I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears at minus three against Detroit. I'd like to see them break break out, and I feel like against the Lions, it would be a good way to do it. I know the Lions won last week, so you know I hope the Bears, you know, they made some moves at the deadline, and you hope they work out. So I'm going Bears minus three against Detroit. Those are my three picks. I think the score is what thirty to twenty-three. Yes. In in, yes. in favor of me. So, you know, this is gonna be a good week for you. Maybe I'll help you out with your three-point pick a little bit. And, you know, that, that's all we got from the picks uh segment. It, it's getting hot and I can't believe we're in week ten. Now I would love to hit my three point pick. I, I would like you to get me on track, but eventually I'm gonna make a comeback in this thing. I am. We are. I. I'm going to need us to have some different picks because that's the only way we're able to catch ground. But I would love maybe us sharing a three point pick this week gets me going in the right direction. It so could I'm help take... you because maybe the Giants lose, maybe the Bears lose. I, I'd right. have more confidence in the Bears losing than the Giants losing, to be honest with you. But you know, you never know. Now, uh, you, you just got me thinking. I mean, you mentioned the Bears, and last week we talked about how we like them acquiring Chase Claypool and how Justin Fields is coming on. I mean, we we have to at least acknowledge what Justin Fields did this past week, spending a regular season rushing record for a quarterback, 178 yards on the ground for Justin Fields. He he paired that with with three touchdowns in the air. I mean, Justin Fields, man. I mean, I think he's the next big thing. He might just be. I mean, he is coming into his own so nicely and without weapons, really. I mean, this was Chase Claypool's Bears debut. And, but I mean, Whatever, we'll see what they're able to do with him. But like this whole year he's been working with Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. Like, those are guys that if they're your third, fourth option, second, third, all right, maybe, but like as as your top two passing options, the way that he's been able to come on and really just look so much more comfortable using his legs to his benefit. I mean, Justin Fields might just I mean, the Bears might have their guy. And it's funny because he was obviously 
available when the Jets were on the clock at number two. And I would say for the most of the college season, Justin Fields was the consensus number two pick. And then something changed that where, where Zach Wilson sort of took slid into that spot. But the Bears got to start. They they the Bears might finally have that franchise quarterback. And and, and Justin Fields looks like the truth right now. I mean, I, I could say I'm certainly reaping the rewards from a, a fantasy perspective. But if you're a Bears fan, you got to start thinking long term here. Like, wow, we might have a dude. That's something Bears fans have not been able to say in a while. Not only Gotham has ever been higher in the entire city of Chicago in, in the last, you know, five years. This is this is pretty good for the Bears. I mean, Justin Fields, you mentioned that record. I mean, Trubisky was a flash in the pan. They haven't really had a quarterback who, who's been withstanded uh, of more than four or five years on the team in, in, in a while. So, yeah, I mean, this is the guy. Now you pair him with some weapons. I mean. Good for Cole Komet to be a number three because, you know, I don't even know if he could be a – he may not even be able to be a four on a good team. So, you know, this, this is good for the Bears. I think it's another one of those situations like, you know, the Knicks are good for the NBA when they're good. I think the Bears are good for the NFL when they're good. I just think it's one of those things. It's good to translate. And, yeah, it's good to see Justin Fields doing well as a rookie because we talked about the rookies on episode one. I wasn't a big fan of Trey Lance. You know that. I was a big fan of this kid, and he's doing really well. And he's proved my point. Yeah, I mean, if I if I'm pipe dreaming scenarios for the Chicago Bears, man, would it be something to reunite a couple of Ohio State boys? You bring Jackson Smith and Jigba in to this mm-hmm. Bears offense as the alpha receiver. Now I think we're they would be cooking with gas. I think they got to be thinking with that same mindset. Why stop now? Let's go get him that high, high end receiver because, like you said. That's what really takes quarterbacks to the next level. And I think Fields is giving you reasons to take that big investment. So I just wanted to, 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 to go there really fast. I mean, that's that, that that's a player that I think might be really taking the league by storm here. So shout out to Justin Fields. But I, I don't know if you have anything else, but I think that might be it for this episode of the No Plain Views podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm good for the most part. There, there's one thing I wanted to touch on that you may not be interested in and because, you know, this whole timing with the whole Kyrie Irving thing and then even Kanye West, you know, something happened this past weekend that, you know, I really wanted to get on a platform and just spew about for a few minutes. And I hope you can give me some time here. So, you know, the Boston Bruins, who are off to the best start in franchise history, uh, made a decision this past weekend to sign Mitchell Miller to an entry level contract. Now, if you're not familiar with who Mitchell Miller is, he is a kid who got drafted by the Arizona Coyotes in 2020. And after deep investigation, it was found out that he bullied a kid for several for several years. And he was quickly um, released from the Coyotes and he actually got kicked off the University of North Dakota hockey team. So the Bruins, two plus years later, think it's a good idea when your team is off to the best start in franchise history to sign this guy in a timing where we just had Kyrie Irving do this thing um, with the promotion of the anti-Semitism, the Bruins are off to their best start in franchise history with a core of leaders who I think are as high class of people as anybody. And for a general manager who's already on the hot seat to, to even have the thought of bringing a kid in who is just proven that he is a bully. And according to the family of the kid that he bullied, never said, I'm sorry. 
and, and his only a public apology came through an agent PR statement is just an absolute joke and tone depth for an organization to do that. I can't believe that they did that. It should have never got to a point. They actually released him from his contract two days after they signed him for it because the fans went crazy. And if I was a fan of the Boston Bruins, I'd be really pissed off. The players had to answer for it, and the players were pissed off about it at the media. I mean, how do you do? How do you not listen to Patrice Bergeron, who's been in the league for 20 years? He had an opinion on it, and nobody said anything, and they just went away because it was a hockey decision. Sports organizations have to be better than this. This is not about you know who the best player for teams are anymore. You have to get character people and people who are good human beings. That is an awful signing that it even came to the first place that he was even a thought for the Boston Bruins, a team who's 10 and one right now. So I just wanted to put that out there real quick. You know, not kind of our demographic for what we're looking for here on No Plain Views, but I just wanted to put it out there just because of the timing of things. We need to start looking at things not around sports. We need to be around good people. That is not a good kid to sign. He never said, I'm sorry. There is no proof that he's trying to prove himself to be a better person by entering the right program because he hasn't. The fact that that happened to an organization that I personally felt was top-notch in the league just lost all respect for management of the Boston Bruins. I, really bad w what happened last weekend. That's all I'll say on that because that I, I could go forever. I mean, I think in this, this time that we're in, sports franchises have shown what they really care about the most. And that it's it's been made obvious that it's winning. They're, they are willing to bite a certain level of ethics for what is best for the on-field product, which then results in money. I, I think that is, it's very unfortunate. that That's something I, I, I didn't know about that. So I'm glad you were able to inform me and hopefully, and hopefully you guys too. Like that is just, that's unacceptable behavior. And I think the worst part is it's so obvious that the, the weeding factor and what gets these sporting teams their, their upper management to actually react to this these problems is fan reaction. It seems like there's just no, they, they don't have the conviction or or whether it's the moral compass, whether whichever end of that deal it is to act on their own right, that they need first the public backlash from the fans to then be like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the best thing. And it feels like that was the whole first, like Kyrie Irving probably doesn't suspend it without that. Without public backlash and repercussions from from fans, Kyrie Irving's probably starts tonight against the Knicks, and Emu Udoka is probably the head coach. Like, think about that. And then in this case, like, you, like things did not change until the fans made a statement. Uh, that should not be the way things are. And and I think it's just been made more abundant than ever that that's not the case. And teams are doing what is best for their bottom line. So that, that that's unfortunate. I'm definitely glad you were able to get that in. So, on that note, I think we will wrap up this episode of No Plain Views. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Plain Views for all of our our picks, our live reactions to the games, and more. Make sure to rate and review our podcast five stars. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We will back to you. We will be back with you guys next week talking about a big Giants game, some updates on New York basketball, and, and much more. As we mentioned, we're going to keep expanding for what the sports world gives us. So with that, we will leave it. I am Brandon Mintz. And I'm Harris Eisenberg, and you will hear us next recording, both recording from Long Island, for episode 11 of No Plain Views.